The peace of Christ be with you. Why don't we give ourselves about three deep breaths to be gathered into this space, to be settled in the presence of the Spirit and held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God. We're going to open worship today just by singing some hallelujahs together. I invite you to join us. Seek Christ. Let no one be denied access. Let us open our eyes to the unseen. Come, let us be inspired. Oh, 
each other just a little better. So I'd like to invite you now to join me in the community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Like light, you are not Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Through Jesus Christ, God forgives us our failings. And God continues to call us into a community of mutual love and forgiveness. Let us celebrate this great mercy and grace of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd now like to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. You were just right there, yes. You didn't have very far to go, did you? All right, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. Do any of you have pets at home? No? No pets? You do? Yeah, what do you got? Well, I used to have a cat and two dogs. Cat and two dogs. Oh, that's a lot of animals. I have a cat and one dog, and that seems like a lot. Um, Whoa, I heard four cats over there. Awesome. So this book is actually about a cat that I wanted to share with you today. This book is called Scrawny Cat. Scrawny Cat, that would not describe my cat. My cat is not scrawny. Scrawny sort of thin and maybe not fed enough food. So let's find out why is this cat scrawny? Oh, you have a scrawny cat in your neighborhood. Yeah. Maybe that doesn't necessarily have a home to live in. That's, I think that's what this cat is, is uh, experiencing. So a scrawny cat crept down the street. He was lonely and he was lost. Look how little that cat is. He belonged to someone once, but not anymore. I don't know what happened. Someone knew his name once, but not anymore. Now everyone calls him, get out of here. But the scrawny cat knew his name was not Get Out of Here. And so he, he travels along and he tries to find a place to stay. Oh, maybe there's something warm to eat inside this door. But the door opens and a man yells, Get Out of Here. Oh, then the scrawny cat goes down the street, finds a dog. Maybe the dog will be a friend. Grr, the dog growls and the cat skitters away. Mm. So then it starts raining, and the cat sort of finds shelter in this boat. 
And the boat sails along, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. The boat sails along and sails along. And finally, the boat lands on shore, and there's a woman there. She sees this boat, and she's kind of curious, and she looks in the boat, and there's Scrawny Cat in the boat. And now the Scrawny Cat's wondering, oh, no, is the woman going to call me, get out of here? Cat's not so sure, but what does the woman do? She looks at the cat, and she picks him up, and look what she does. She dries it off and gives it food and some milk and especially some love. She said, hmm, I wonder what your name is. She doesn't know that he's been called get out of here, right? So she says, well, you came in a boat. You're like a skipper of a boat. I'm going to call you skipper. And so the cat starts to live with the woman and feel her love and her attention. And the cat gives her love. And look, if you can tell, cat's not quite so scrawny and little anymore. The cat has been fed and given something to drink and most importantly been given love. And I was thinking about this book this week because I was thinking about how sometimes it's easy to kind of push people away, sort of like everyone push the cat away. I don't want you here. You don't belong here. Sometimes we might find ourselves doing that. Now, maybe it's someone maybe we don't quite get along with or someone maybe we don't understand. Maybe they're different from us somehow. And sometimes it's easier to say, nope, nope, go away, go away, get out of here. But that didn't do the cat very well, did it? The cat was not doing well when people were telling the cat that. And the cat did well when someone said, no, come here. I want to give you love. I want to give you attention. I want to give you what you need to live. And just think what a difference we might make in someone's life, a person, maybe an animal, instead of saying, no, no, you're going to need to stay away. Instead, no, come be a part of my life. Come, let, let me show you love. Let us show love together. And let's live our best lives together instead of apart together. And maybe we all can thrive and live with joy just like the cat did when the cat found some love and someone to welcome it in. So we're going to head to Sunday school now. I see Grayson standing there. For those of you who are in third through fifth grade, you're going to go into the library with Grayson. I see Marilyn standing there. For those of you in second grade and younger, you're going to go over to our preschool building. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God Typically in the service, this is when we check in by sharing our joys and our concerns. But having talked to a number of folks at the first service, I perhaps have a more basic question, which is just simply, how are you doing this morning? So if you want to share that or a joy or a concern, please do raise your hand. Yeah. Oh, wow. Nice for some heartwarming news. Uh, Tipton family shares that if you were here last week, they prayed for an elderly uh, friend who had lost their companion, their dog, and it was miraculously discovered on the Richmond Bridge and returned home. So, yeah, others. Please. I'm very grateful today because of 
Oh, and this is a scam. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't want to cut you off, but it's but most people here can't hear you, so I just let me just no, no, it's okay. But I just I, I will, yeah. So I just want to summarize so they can follow. But if you haven't heard, there's a scam going around where people. Uh, will say that someone's been abducted and they try to get money out of you and and she was terrified that her daughter had been taken and it was not so and we join you in saying thank God and warn the rest of you about that. So again, apologies for cutting you off but people can't hear. Others, joys or concerns? Yes, Pat. Indeed, yeah, yes. Thank you, Pat. Pat lifts up uh, prayers for the people at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. I know that's on many people's hearts. We'll have, uh, well, actually, I'll just do it now. Um, Kol Shafar, our dear friends up the road, synagogue, will be hosting a vigil tonight at 6.30. Bethany and I will be participating in that vigil. Um, It would be wonderful if you could show up as a sign of solidarity. There will be moments where they will ask those from other faith communities to stand up. And there's something very powerful when you're a minority community when the majority shows up and says we're with you. So 6.30 tonight, Kol Shafar, we would love to see you there. In a little bit, we'll have a statement and prayer or offering from the Marin Interfaith Council. Bethany's the president of that board, and she'll read something to close our prayer time. Thank you, Pat. Others? Yeah, Lynn. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Our seminarian, Lynn Chittick, lifts up exchange students from Tahiti here, uh, as well as some experiences of racial profiling that's been coming up in the schools. Thank you. Tila. Uh, 
Thank you, Tila. Tila, like so many of you, is praying for uh, Honduran refugees and others who are um, uh, being displaced and seeking a safer place to be. Barb. Thank you, Barb. Barb lifts up this country in light of the IEDs that were sent to political figures this past week and for the state of our nation. Others? Yes, please, Thomas. Yes, thank you. For Anthony, who's got a parole hearing uh, after many, many years coming up, thank you for praying for that. Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, amen. We, the, our confirmation students left bright and early this morning to go be at Glide Memorial, and we pray that their eyes and their hearts might be open and they might be touched by that experience. Uh, yes, please, Reese. Thank you for uh, another racially motivated act of violence of uh, two African-Americans killed in a grocery store. That's right. Thank you. Bethany, why don't you um, share us the MIC piece, and then we'll join in the Lord's Prayer. So I'd say this is both a statement and an invitation to the vigil tonight from the Marin Interfaith Council, along with congregations Kul Shafar and Rodef Shalom. So the shooting yesterday at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh has left us feeling shaken, afraid, and angry. It has reminded all of us that white supremacy, white nationalism, and easy access to assault weapons results in horrific tragedy. We mourn for those killed and stand in solidarity with our Jewish sisters and brothers everywhere. At this time, we also stand with others who are threatened in this hate and fear-filled climate, people of color, immigrants, the LGBTQ community, and Muslims. Fear can cause us to retreat, but our faith, our relationships founded on trust and mutual respect, our commitment to a more inclusive society where everyone is safe and thrives, these draw us together as one human family. Together, rooted in the sacred, we turn loss into hope, despair into resilience, and fear into love. We hope you'll join us tonight for this interfaith vigil. With that, I invite us to pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our
Just who I am. 
The first scripture reading is Psalm 34, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and she answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him, and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried, and was heard by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear the Lord, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in God. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I'm grateful for that hearty time of prayer, and I would covet your prayers in this time that my leadership would be strong but tender, that it would be wise and not reactive, that it would be helpful. The second reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 46 to 52. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us this morning in this place. They came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples in a large crowd were leaving Jericho. As they were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard it, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, the beggar began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. So he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, Jesus is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want? me to do for you. The blind one said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Friends, this is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Father Gregory Boyle is a Catholic priest and the founder of Homeboy Industries, the largest ministry dedicated to those in gangs in the country. It's located in Los Angeles. Now, in their own words, this is what Homeboy Ministries does. They are institution that provides training and support, hope 
to formerly gang involved and previously incarcerated men and women, allowing them to redirect their lives and become contributing members of the community. Their services range from parenting classes to anger management, job placement to tattoo removal. That's the official description of what they do. But if you want to know what Homeboy Ministries or Homeboy Industries is about, you have to hear the stories. And there are so many stories. You can find a number of them in, in Boyle's books, whether it's tattoos on the heart or barking to the choir. In the latter, Boyle tells a story about a man named Sergio. He's brought Sergio to a speaking engagement, which he has many, but he always brings people along so they can tell their own story and in their own words. And so Sergio, in his mid-twenties, is standing before a crowd of people eager to hear what his life has been like. And at one point, he's looking back, and he recalls a time, and I'll warn you, it's an intense story, as so many of them are, but it's worth it, so hang in there. But he recalls a time when his mother said to him, why don't you just kill yourself? Because you're such a burden to me. A mother saying that to her only child. Sergio was six at the time. When he was nine, Sergio's mother drove him into the desert in Baja, California to an orphanage in the middle of nowhere and came to the doorstep and said, I found this kid and left him. And at nine years old, Sergio stayed at that orphanage for 90 days until his grandmother tracked down where he was and came and rescued him. Sergio was teased a lot at school for wearing three shirts Three t-shirts. Why would you wear three t-shirts in Southern California in that heat? Sergio didn't wear the layers because of the heating. He wore the layers because of the beating. The routine beatings he received at home would often bleed through the first shirt. And more times than not through the second shirt. And so it took three t-shirts to conceal his wounds. Oh, how we want to conceal the unsightly wounds. In today's story, Jesus is making his way and there are crowds around him and there's someone unsightly in their midst. This beggar, this blind one, cries out to Jesus and many, not a few, not one, many told him to be quiet. Do they not know who Jesus is or for whom or for what purpose he came? Well, it's tempting to just call them evil, but I would submit to you it's not that they're evil. Maybe they don't understand. Maybe they want to uh, honor their prized guest and not trouble him. Maybe they're a little embarrassed of him and how he reflects on their community. It's human nature. Maybe perhaps what's happening is they have some unattended to sadness or grief in themselves about their community and the way it is. And they just don't want to look at it and they certainly don't want him to see it. Who are the ones we don't want to see? 
the unsightly ones in our midst that might reveal some of our communal or personal wounds? And what stories do we tell about them so that we can neglect them? In Jesus' time, it was common belief that people's physical ailments were the result of their own moral or spiritual misconduct or that of their parents or ancestors. Now, we scoff at such a primitive belief. And yet, sometimes don't we also assign all kinds of judgment to those who find themselves desperate, unable to make it, crying out, even on the road, looking for a better life. Jesus makes it clear in that encounter that following him is incompatible with gatekeeping. He wants to see it all and welcome it all. It's all for Jesus Christ about open access. When Father Gregory Boyle tells his stories, he doesn't do it simply to shock. It, of course, shocks many of us, those stories like the one I just told. He does it to give many of us access to a world that is totally foreign, to which we have very little familiarity, if any at all. He does it to make visible what has been made invisible to bring to light some realities that we've overlooked. He doesn't excuse bad behavior, destructive behavior, illegal behavior, but what he tries to do is tell the kinds of stories that might explain the conditions that give birth to that kind of behavior. And one of the things he sheds the most light on is trauma. The incredible amount of trauma that people carry around. What kind of trauma must a man like Sergio carry with him after that upbringing? And what kind of trauma must his mother have endured? There's no other parent even mentioned in the picture. What must his mother have gone through to treat her only begotten son that way? Boyle defies the notion, the commonly held notion, that people join gangs so they can belong. He says, gang members will tell you that because they know that's what we want to hear. But he doesn't believe it. You know why he says people join gangs? Because they're in immense pain. And he said, simply, misery loves company. And they know who else is hurting that much. And they're drawn together and they do whatever they can to anesthetize themselves from that pain and to find outlets for it, often destructive. It's, it's sort of redirecting their suffering to someone or somewhere else. Because pain is like water. It just flows to the lowest point. And that's where it pools. And what Father Gregory Boyle does is he invites us to come down to the water's edge. Not to drain it out like some hero, because it doesn't work that way. He wants us to look in that reservoir and find our own reflections. To look in there and recognize that pain in ourselves in it. His stories often evoke tears, but the purpose of that is not to create or foster pity. It's to bring to light a recognition of our common humanity because everybody's tears taste the same. 
It's all the same kind of salt water, and everybody's got a reason to cry. And so it's in that moment when you're leaning over and you see that reservoir of pain that we recognize at our most basic level, maybe only at our most basic level, we are all family. One common humanity. In kinship is the predominant metaphor that Gregory Boyle uses for the Christian life. To be a Christian to him is not about being good or believing this or that. It's about recognizing at the heart of all things that we're family. That we're family. And it's no small thing when you're working with a gang population to get folks to recognize that. This is... This is a, a way of being that's rooted in mutually opposed ideologies and senses of belongings that are built on ideas of, self, of, of uh, mutually opposed destruction, destroying the other, the enemy. It's no small thing to get them to embrace kinship instead. And maybe it's no small thing for the rest of us to embrace it either. When it's so easy to see the other is that who should be destroyed. It's no small thing. See the other as kin. Invite them into that space, no matter how painful it is. Boyle tells many a story where that kinship gets rediscovered and where people's lives are transformed by that. And I encourage you to look at those stories because they become this sort of shocking clarity in the midst of this cloud of confusion that we sometimes move through that says, no, 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 I belong to my nation or, or I, belong, I belong to my race or my ethnic group or, or even I belong to my religion. No. We all belong to each other. And we all belong to God. Now, that's not to offer a critique to minority groups or movements that tend to pull together uh, because they have to, to make their way to survive because they've been told in so many ways that they don't have a place, that they aren't part of the family, that they are orphans and a burden. So it's not about that. Speaking of clarity, isn't it ironic? Who's the one who sees Jesus most clearly in the story? It's the blind one. The blind one sees. Better than all those who supposedly have the ability to see. Which says to us one thing, that following Jesus has something to do with seeing differently. And seeing beyond appearances, because appearances can be deceiving. They can trick you into thinking that person is blind. If following Jesus is about seeing differently, then it's also about hearing differently. In, particularly, in particular, hearing other people's stories. When you hear one another's story, it's like this bridge gets built between the two souls. And that bridge becomes the way of compassion. That's why it's so effective and so necessary. If you want to make an enemy out of someone or another people, you have to 
eliminate their story. You have to head it off to the, at the past. You have to give them a two-dimensional image, a caricature or a stereotype or a prejudice, and then you blow up the bridge to compassion, and then you can annihilate them. Go to war with them. Villainize them. Vilify them. And Jesus calls us to resist that way of being and rebuild those bridges. There's a word for that kind of way of uh, dehumanizing the other in the Christian lexicon. It's called sin. Sin just comes from the old English word to render asunder, to tear apart. And so when you tear a community apart or when you vilify a community by ripping them from their story, you are sinning. In the Christian world, we cling to this notion that Jesus was without sin, and I think we think of that as if he was a really good Sunday school kid, but the reality is what Jesus did is he refused to tear people from the stories that explain why they are who they are and how they act. Now, I mentioned grief earlier and sadness, and I think it's important to return to that notion of grief in sadness because it illuminates so much. I was sitting with my spiritual director early last week and she was talking about a lot that was going on in the world and she said so often uh, our outward expressions of hostility are uh, an outgrowth of what's going on inside of us. And so the fragmentation that is so present in the world is really a reflection of the fragmentation that's within. That was early last week. And so she said, we have to go in. And you might say, well, how can we dare go in at a moment like this? Go inside and be spiritual when there's so much pain out there. Well, that's exactly why you have to go in and do that healing work. You cannot work for healing or peace or justice if you are broken and violent and wounded inside. I used to think, as recently as nine days ago, that my job was to, yeah, things change fast here that my job was to reassure you that everything was going to be okay. And I felt like I was failing at my job. And then I realized, how can I tell you it's going to be okay? I don't know if it's going to be okay. I mean, ultimately, yes. But in the near term, I don't know anything you don't know. And what I realized that my job is really to help you know how to show up to the world. Because we can't control outcomes at all. We have no control over outcomes. What we have control over is how we show up to the world. That is our work, and that's the good news, because we have ultimate control over that, every one of us. And we have models all around us. Look at the blind man who sees so well. Look how he shows up to that moment. He's totally broken, and yet he's whole because he recognizes what is broken inside of him. And he brings it to Jesus unencumbered and cries out and says, Here it is. Here's what disables me. I give it to you as an offering. Heal it. It's an amazing encounter. Jesus calls him over, and he rips off his clothes, there's a metaphor for you, and runs to Jesus. He doesn't even need the protection of clothing anymore. He's totally vulnerable, totally disarmed, naked in his need. And he gives it to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. And what does Jesus say to him? 
your faith has made you well. Not Jesus' magic. Jesus recognizes that the capacity for his healing is inside. And so it is with us as individuals and as a people. And then the question becomes, can we be like the blind man and see that clearly and look inside and see that pain? And my, how there's a lot of pain right now. Think of the week we just had improvised explosive devices in our own postal system. Shootings, racially motivated shootings in a grocery store. All this tension and fear and anger about this caravan of pain, which is what it is, moving north. And people gathered together in a house of worship named after the tree of life being shot while they praised God. Can you go there? Now, you all may have very different ideas of what needs to be done in response to that or feelings about it. But my guess is if you go deep enough, we'll meet. We may have to go all the way to the bottom to meet. And that place is pain. So if you're angry, keep looking deeper. If you're afraid, keep looking deeper. And eventually you'll get to a place that is deeply sad and hurts. And if you can just look in that pool long enough to see it for what it is, your sadness at the way things are, and see your own reflection and place in it, when you look up to your right and to your left, you'll see everybody else there too. And in that moment, you will realize that we are family. And it's only as family that we can move forward in hope. Father Gregory Boyle, Near the closing pages of tattoo, uh, excuse me, of break, barking to the choir, tells a story, not surprisingly, of one of his homies named Mario. Mario and two others uh, have been invited along to share their stories, as is often the case. And he gives them each five minutes to tell their story to the crowd of about a thousand people. And then he says, "You just tell your story, and then we're just going to invite questions." And if it's okay with you, I'd like to just read to you how, how it goes. Oh, oh, a little background. Mario, he says, is the most tattooed member of Homeboy Ministries he's maybe ever seen. Arms, legs, neck, even his face. Whole face is covered in ink. Only holes for his eyes and for his mouth. The lengths we will go to to hide, right, our wounds. The other thing you need to know about Mario is he's the kindest person Boyle has probably ever met in the ministry. So Mario, like the others, shares his story, and then this happens. Once the room settled, I encouraged the audience to just raise their hands and belt out the questions without the aid of a microphone. The first question was from a woman near the front. She stood and said that she had a question for Mario. The spine shiver that went through his slim body was likely visible from any seat. He gingerly approached the mic. Yes, he squeaked. You say you're a father, the woman began, and your son and daughter are starting to reach their teenage years. What wisdom do you impart to them? She recalibrates. I mean, what advice do you give them? She sat, and Mario was left alone to sift her words and find a response. 
He trembled some, and he closed his eyes, then suddenly blurted out, I just, as soon as those two words left his mouth, he retreated again to silence. Standing next to him, I could feel, sense, and see the sentence he was putting together in his mind, reducing him to a new emotional setting. His eyes were closed, and he was clutching the microphone. He finally opened his eyes and stretched out his arm toward the woman as if he were pleading with her. I just, I just don't want my kids to turn out to be like me. His last words felt squeezed out, and his sobbing became more pronounced. The audience was silent. And not one of us made a move to fill it. The woman stood up again. Now it was her turn to cry as she pointed at Mario, her voice steely and certain even though or even through her tears. Why wouldn't you want your kids to turn out to be like you? She said, you are gentle. You are kind. You are loving. You are wise. She steadied herself, planted herself firmly. I hope your kids turn out to be like you. There was not much of a pause before all 1,000 attendees stood up and began to clap. The ovation seemed to have no end. All Mario could do was hold his face in his hands, overwhelmed with emotion. Bobby, one of the other homeboys, and I each lightly placed a hand on his back as he gently sobbed in a room full of strangers, returned him to himself. As I looked at this crowd, it was unshakably clear that they too had been returned to themselves. It was all exquisitely mutual, an orphan guiding us to the birth of a new inclusion, a lanky, tattooed gang member befriending his own wound and inoculating this room from despising the wounded, everyone recognizing themselves in the brokenness. All of us, a cry for help. Judgment nowhere in sight. And yes, entering just right now into the fullness of kinship. Amen.
You may be seated. And at this time, I'd like to invite forward our new members as well as Elder Randy Heiser. Let's come on down and take a uh, stand up here on the step. Not all of our new members are here. Some of their family members are away and some have children who are in class or other places. We have one candle for every person joining, but we have some representatives here. So, Randy. Mr. Moderator, the session has... Say that part again. No. <laughs> <laughs> the session has received the following persons into the membership of this congregation. Erica Hagopian, Caroline and Hall Kesmodel, Libby and Franklin Tipton, and Virginia Tusher. Thank you. That formality is simply a symbol of how seriously we do take this moment. So just one question for you. Do you affirm your baptismal vows, trusting in God's grace in Jesus Christ, and desire to become a part of the fellowship and ministry of this congregation? If so, please say, I do. Thank you. 
We have a prayer in unison, if you could follow along in the bulletin. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome these new members into this congregation. We promise to love, encourage, and support them in our families. We promise to share the good news with them, to look for God's presence in them. Well, Rob already mentioned that we have lit a candle for each of you, just a representation of how you already are shining your light here in this congregation and out in the world, and we just look forward to the ways that we continue to shine our lights and shine God's light together as well. Uh, we have a, a loaf of bread for you. Thank you, Barbara Rowe, for baking this. Um, and it's a special woven loaf of bread. And that's on purpose because, you know, as we welcome you into this congregation, is our hope that you know, we will continue to be more woven together as we learn and share about God together, our lives wo- are woven together. And then finally, I'm going to invite you to come over here and sign our very special membership book um, as just a sign of um, welcoming you here into this community. So, Franklin and Libby, why don't you come on over first? And here's some bread, and then you can sign our very special book over there. You know, sometimes we get teased that we do this so old school. We actually use like a pen and paper <laughs> instead of doing electronically, but it's important. Oh, don't forget your bread. And then, Hall, why don't you come on over? Ancient and sacred, says Rob. Yes, yeah, and sign our book. <laughs> and then Virginia. There you go. One more. Gracious God, we stand before you in gratitude for those who stand before us with this, with us this day. We know that each of these new members has had a unique course on the way here, and we pause for but a moment to give thanks quietly for those who've been important figures to them along their way, and perhaps for each of us to give thanks who've guided our own faith as well. Surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, O God, empower us to be a fitting church home for them. Help us to welcome them into the full life of this congregation and to make room for their gifts. We pray these things and we pray all things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Welcome Welcome. to each one of you. You may be seated. I want to highlight just a couple of things happening after worship today, uh, most of them kid-related. Our older youth are um, hosting a harvest festival for our younger youth in Finley Hall and Fireside, so they're welcome to go and enjoy that 
If you're an older child at heart, you can go check out what they're doing as well. The kids will be um, well cared for in there. And then parents are invited to be in here uh, with Laura Schwartz. She was with us in September and is back now um, to talk about parenting, some of the neuroscience of parenting and being present as a parent. So you're welcome to be in here for that. Um, I do invite you to check out all that's happening in the life of the church as we have a lot going on. It's listed in your bulletin. I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn, number 79. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.